Hello, and welcome back to the Automotive Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the Ford RS200. And this was a rally car developed by Ford during the 1980s. And the Ford RS200 is a very cool car in the fact that it is unlike any other Ford ever made. People have compared it to the Lancia Stratos and other European rally cars because it doesn't really fit with Ford. This might be the case because it was developed by the European division of Ford Motorsport. Um, But I didn't really know anything about this car, and it was actually brought to my attention by a listener, so I thought I would look into it, and it was actually a very cool car and had a very interesting story behind it. So, to set the scene, during the 1970s, Ford was a very successful rally team. They utilized the Escort to its full potential and eventually would take home the World Rally Championship Manufacturer's title in 1979. But this would kind of be the highlight of the Escort. Time was against it, and Ford was fully aware that the aging Escort would not be competitive for much longer, Um, especially with the consideration of the new cars coming in to the rally scene. Cars like the Audi Quattro and the Renault 5 Turbo were really pushing the boundaries of rally racing and what rally cars were capable of, and a car like the Escort, being only rear-wheel drive, was starting to, well, not be able to compete. So, after winning in 1979, Ford took a step back. They said, we need to develop a new car for rally racing that will get us more wins, get us more championship titles. Um, And so they decided to spend a couple years away from racing to create this new car. Now, originally, Ford Motorsport was looking to create a turbocharged, rear-wheel drive version of the Mark III Escort to race in the newly formed Group B category. But this project was a bit problem-filled. First, the biggest problem is they didn't go away from rear-wheel drive. One of the reasons the Escort was going to become uncompetitive is due to the move to all-wheel drive platforms, and they were suddenly looking at creating a new, brand-new, highly competitive car but were sticking with an old platform in the sense that it was rear-wheel drive. So that was a bit of a weird choice. Another thing that complicated this project was the fact that the Mark III Escort was originally a front-wheel drive road car, and they were looking to convert it to rear-wheel drive, which is a big change, and they also needed to modify the rest of the car to be able to handle the power of a turbocharged engine Um, when obviously the road-going version did not have uh, that powerful of an engine. So it was kind of a messy project, and it required actually changing how the engine was mounted. In the road car, the engine was mounted transversely, but in order for it to be rear-wheel drive, they had to mount it longitudinally, and... Like I said, even if they were able to get that working, even if they were able to make everything beautiful and everything set up for this new Mark III Escort, 
it was still kind of an old platform because it was going to be rear-wheel drive instead of all-wheel drive. And Ford really put some time and money into this project. They spent over two years developing a rally version of the Mark III Escort. And then they abandoned it. They said, this isn't working. Even if we finish it, it's not going to be competitive. It's expensive. It's complex. Let's drop it. Which is a pretty ballsy move. But what they decided to do is end the Mark III project and put everything that was learned, everything that was better understood now, towards a new platform. So the idea was, quote-unquote, to not waste the project of the Mark III because that would help further the development of this new car. Um, At least that's how they phrased it. This new car would be designed for Group B racing, which had been going on for a while now, simply because of the amount of time Ford took to develop the Mark III Escort and the time they're going to take to develop this new car. Another big change that was going to take place with this new rally car was the fact that it wasn't going to be a silhouette car. And what this means is that a silhouette car is essentially designed or based off of a already existing road production car, and then the company would modify it and make it racing. They might change everything about the car except for the looks, but it was still based off some road-going car. This would not be the case for this new car that Ford was going to work on. This was going to be built from the ground up. They also made the smart decision of making it all-wheel drive, and that was really what was necessary to compete in rallying at this point. Um, that's, that's what gave you the competitive edge, and so it was. they made the smart decision, and they are going to give this new car all-wheel drive. The final thing that makes this new car a little bit unique is... Well, they wanted to keep it cheap, or as cheap as possible when you're developing a car like this. And the way they did that is they raided the parts bin. Instead of developing new parts for this car, they tried to look at what parts were available from cars they were already making to then be put into this new car. And this would help hopefully keep the price down. And as I'm sure you've already guessed, this new car that Ford was developing, would be the RS200. The RS200 would have its first drivable prototype finished in 1984, and it would be presented to the administration at Ford and would be approved. They liked it. Um, A little interesting thing is that the RS in the name stands for Rally Sport, and the 200 represents the homologation requirement of 200 cars being produced to compete in Group B. So, like I said about rating the parts bin, the engine for the RS200 would be the same engine that was originally designed for the Mark III Escort. This engine is called the Cosworth BDT. It had a displacement of 1,803 cubic centimeters. It had fuel injection and a Garrett turbocharger. It was an inline-four engine.
Uh, generally, the engine performed well, but it did have some issues with turbo lag. For those that don't know, turbo lag is the fact that if you're at low RPMs, the turbo isn't really spinning up to a high enough velocity to shove air into the engine, and so it's a little not super powerful if you aren't at high RPMs. And so this means that in order for the RS200 to perform well and have acceleration, uh, the driver needed to push the car hard. And this means keeping the engine above 6,000 RPM for as much time as possible to reduce the effect of the turbo lag. Another interesting thing is the car was extremely complex, which is a little funny because one of the reasons they abandoned the Mark III Escort project was because it was a complex project. I guess they didn't learn because the RS200 is even more complex. Most of this complexity comes from the drivetrain. So, as I said, the car needed to be all-wheel drive. What I didn't mention was the fact that the RS200 is actually a mid-engine car, which is great for weight displacement. But it does make getting power to the wheels a little bit of a mess, especially with the fact that Ford wanted to put the transmission in the front of the car. Well, since you kind of have the engine in the middle, and there's a bunch of stuff going on in the back then putting the transmission in the front allows a nice weight distribution. But what this means is that the engine produces the power in the middle of the car, that power is then sent up to the transmission, and then the transmission has to send some of the power back again to the rear wheels. So it's just a pretty complex drivetrain. It incorporated three limited slip differentials, one in the front, one at the center, and one at the rear. Uh, the transmission itself would be a five-speed manual, um, but like I said, its <laughs> power was going front and back and kind of all over the place. So while it did provide great weight distribution, it's complex and a little bit on the inefficient side. Although, arguably, it was worth it, because the RS200 is known to handle very, very well, mostly due to its extremely good weight distribution. Another thing that added complexity to the drivetrain was the fact that Ford made it adjustable in the fact that you could choose how much torque was going to which set of wheels. So the kind of like normal setup was 33% of the torque would be sent to the front, and 67% of the torque would go to the rear. It was also possible to have a 50-50 distribution, and this setup was usually reserved for very technical stages, um, where it was believed that you would benefit from having perfectly even uh, torque distribution, and then it was also possible to have a 100% rear torque distribution, uh, which was believed to give an advantage on asphalt stages on stages that were simply roads and didn't have anything technical there was a belief that rear wheel drive was the best option and so any of these three could be selected by the driver uh, during a stage suspension was also pretty impressive which makes sense for a rally car a good suspension it can really help improve times um, this, for the RS200, was a double wishbone setup, and the chassis was actually supported by dual spring and dampeners at each wheel. 
Uh, so that means eight springs and eight dampeners in total, two per wheel. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That sounds like a pretty serious suspension setup, and uh, that also probably aided a lot in the RS200's ability to handle well. The car was fairly light, but not super light. It weighed about 1,180 kilograms, um, which isn't a lot, but it's not as light as some other rally cars. Steering was a rack and pinion, which, as I've talked about in previous episodes, is considered the best steering setup for driver feel and feedback. Um, it had no power steering, which makes sense. It's a race car. Um, one of the funnier things, though, is that the turning circle of the RS200 was horrible. A quote from Evo Magazine is, quote, three-point turns in town could easily become six-point turns. Which, you know, is fair because it's a race car. Race cars don't usually need very tight turning radiuses. Um, but I did think it was kind of funny that it wasn't wasn't great at the at turning very sharply. Brakes uh, for this car were disc all around, and those discs were gripped by four piston calipers. And so I guess this is just the trend with race cars. The complexity of the RS200 made it difficult to homologate. 200 needed to be built, and Ford would manage to do this. There wouldn't be any issues, but they did have to rush the production of these cars, and they were built like crap. Uh, Ford would have to rebuild the homologation cars at a later date so that the general public would actually buy them. The RS200 is also a very interesting looking car. Um, it's, uh, well, it's a weird looking car. It's a small car with the ugliest duck bill type spoiler I have ever seen. It also features a huge roof scoop that does not help the car look any better. Uh, headlights are small, round, and sunk into the front. It looks a little bit Kirby, um, as in Kirby the Volkswagen Beetle, to be honest. I don't know, maybe that's a weird comparison, um, but I could see it. It has an appeal. With big nighttime lamps hooked up to the front, a nice rally color sway splashed across the body, this car does look right at home flying along a rally stage. It is truly a car that shows that it is function over appearance. Also, the spoiler and the roof scoop were added at a later date. After uh, the original design of the car was finished and it was tested, um, it was found that the car didn't really produce any downforce and it could certainly benefit from some, so they stuck on that spoiler. Um, and then the roof scoop was used to provide a little bit more cooling, which is never a bad thing. Um, another reason that it might also look a little bit weird is the fact that they rated the parts bin, and some of the parts are from other cars. This would include the windscreen, rear lights, and doors all came from the Sierra. The doors were slightly modified, but they did originally come from the Sierra. So now Ford has the RS200. They've spent so much time developing it. They, I mean, they wasted the time with the Mark III Escort. It's complex, but it's all-wheel drive. It handles well. It's got downforce. It's got cooling. And it's ready to tear up Group B. But it, but it doesn't. Um, it wasn't a bad car, 
but it struggled with a not-so-great power-to-weight ratio, and it didn't really perform super well. The best result the RS200 would get in Group B would be third at the 1986 WRC Rally of Sweden. However, it should also be said that of the 13 rallies in that year's WRC, the RS200 would take part in less than half. So it didn't really have that many opportunities to show that it would be successful. Um, Some people actually believe that the reason the RS200 didn't perform super well is the fact that Ford didn't take full advantage of the lax Group B rules and that the RS200 was actually more tame than it needed to be. Group B was pretty open-ended and allowed for some serious monsters, and perhaps the RS200 wasn't enough of a monster uh, to compete. But perhaps the number one reason that the RS200 never really came into its own in Group B is the fact that Group B ended. And interestingly, the RS200 would actually be part of the reason that Group B would end. The car was part of a terrible accident where the car would lose control and drive into a group of spectators, killing four people. This and other crashes and other issues would lead to Group B ending a year later. And so the race series that this car was specifically designed for ended pretty early, so it just didn't really have the opportunity to be developed further and developed into something that would do really well. And it shows that Ford really wanted to back the RS200 and really turn it into something, because before Group B was ended, they had already started on the next evolution of the RS200, unoriginally called the RS200 EVO. And the EVO would have to have 20 cars built to be homologated, and they were well on their way to doing that. Uh, The EVO featured engine upgrades, including a new exhaust manifold, and the block was bored out to 2.1 liters. The original RS200 road spec cars made about 250 horsepower. The rally spec cars uh, made anywhere between 380 to 450 horsepower. And the Evolution was supposedly making 650 horsepower and was able to have a 0 to 60 in 2.1 seconds. So the Evo was really on the way to becoming that Group B monster, but the rug was kind of pulled out from under it as Group B ended. And and that would be it for Group B. The RS200 would compete in one season and not do super well. But Ford had this car, and why not get it to do other stuff? So the RS200 would eventually find a home in other kinds of racing, mostly Rallycross. Um, In fact, the RS200 Evo would be used in Rallycross competition um, starting in 1986 and would take the 1991 European Rallycross title. This would be a... Evo RS200 that was producing 650 horsepower. The RS200 would also do well in hill climb competitions, including Pikes Peak. Uh, Between 1997 and 2000, the RS200 would win Germany's hill climb championship multiple times. Power figures for hill climb spec RS200s are said to be around 875 horsepower, And in 2004, an RS200 built by Mach 2 Racing would win the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. 
So even though the RS200 really wasn't able to compete in the type of motorsport that it was designed for, it was still a very successful race car and was impressive. It became that Group B monster later on in its life. I mean, pushing 875 horsepower, that's a very quick car. And the all-wheel drive with that complex drivetrain being able to switch between, uh, you know, rear-wheel drive totally, 50-50, and then kind of an in-between, it's an impressive car. What's kind of funny, though, is that the road cars that were built for homologation did not sell well. Um, it was said to be a hard car to daily, and so you really had to buy it, you know, solely for the purpose of having a cool race car, basically, that was a little difficult to drive. Um, and it did not help that at the time that it came out, the RS200 cost more than a Ferrari 328. Also, the road car version was never sold in the United States. It was solely a European car. Of course, today, these cars are very valuable um, because of the history with Group B and what they represent, and I don't know, they're very cool cars. They're worth a lot. Um, for a simply RS200, there's been one sold for as high as 280000 and the Evo models that were starting to come into play um, when Group B was ended are worth way more than that, which makes sense. The RS200 is the most unique Ford ever made. The, like I said, I keep hitting on the drivetrain, but it's just, it's an insane setup. Um, and clearly it did work. It has wins under its belt. It's funny looking, but it looks good if you appreciate that those looks are helping the car perform better. It's not flashy. It's not you know, just super high-end looking or, or anything like that, but it's purposefully built, it handles well, it has a very cool system, very cool engineering, and it is entirely a very unique car. So I think it is fully worth all of that money, and I would love to drive one. That's going to be it for the RS200. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, the number one way to do that is to leave reviews and follow the podcast on whatever platform you're listening. You're also welcome to follow me on my social media. My Instagram is automotive.podcast. My Twitter is at automotivepod. And my Facebook is at automotivepodcast. I post car facts and let you know about upcoming episodes. Also, if you could share this podcast with any friends that you think might enjoy it, that's always appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next week.